Breaking Out the Podcast. I'm Jason Naylor, your host. Today I'm trying something a little different for my intro. I got some feedback from a mate of mine. He said, your intros, your outros, they feel a little flat. They feel a little kindergarten teacherish. Nothing like talking to you in person or like your interviews. The energy, the vibrancy, the enthusiasm is missing. So today I'm standing up in my combi. Not an easy thing to do, but I've got two combis, weirdly, and one of them has a popped up roof, so I'm in my power pose, standing. Seeing if this gives me just a little more energy. Let me know what you think, Jace. One of my missions with this podcast is to explore how other people are creating and how other people are making a living from this. I'm a photographer, and I have made a living from my photography. And it would be all too easy for me to go and interview other photographers, but the story's going to be roughly the same every time. So I gave myself a challenge. Interview the least amount of photographers I possibly can. I know hundreds of them. It would be all too easy. The thing is, right... There's some photographers creating some amazing art. And there's some photographers making a good living off it as well. But when I use the word photographer and art in the same sentence, there's one particular photographer that appears in my mind every time. If you've been around the wedding photography circles at all, or even if you've just been around photography circles in New Zealand, there's a high chance you've heard of Bailey and Moore. Sophie Bailey and Simon Moore. For me, when I look at the vast field of awesome wedding photographers out there, Sai and Soph stand out as artists. And so, if I was to pick a photographer or two for this podcast, I couldn't go past Sai Moore. I've heard him speak at events. I've fallen in love with his enthusiasm, his passion, the way he talks about art. And I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. Fortunately, he said yes, and I met him at his studio office space out in Avondale. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is possibly the worst interview that I've ever done. But... It's some of my favourite content I've ever recorded. I just love what's to follow in this interview. So stick around, and I hope you enjoy it too. Now, it's all too obvious and easy for me to talk to photographers, but the thing is I don't want to talk to photographers, because one, that's easy, but secondly, I kind of know how photographers work they're and how very, they make money. They're very tedious to talk to. <laughs> and there's that as they're well, right? Tremendously, but tremendously like I, I know how wedding photography kind of works, right? Maybe, sort of. I'm not saying I can't learn something, but I roughly know how it works, and I know how your portrait model works and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just not that interested in it. But here's the thing. I'm in the van here today with you because you, as far as I'm concerned, you're someone who's a little bit different. I see you as a photographer, but I actually see you more as an artist than a photographer. And I think that right now you're perhaps, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here and I could be wrong, but you're applying your trade as a photographer, but realistically you could almost be doing anything. And we might find that Simon in five or 10 or 50 years is, is, is a different Simon. Five, 10 or 50 years. That's right. I look forward to my life expectancy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... Um, hence, and so you are the first photographer and one of the uh, one of the few that I will chat to. So what I want to cover today is, and I don't know, I haven't actually prepared for this interview. So normally what I do is, I, yeah, normally what I do is I find out the person's background and what they're doing and all this kind of stuff, and then I come with all these like prearranged questions. I have nothing here today, nothing at all, right? I also have nothing. We'll mm-hmm. surf the tsunami of nothing together. Great. Um, I yeah. look forward to this. So I, I just wanted get into your brain a little bit more i just want to figure out what makes you tick Mm. what you're excited about um and where you're going and you can be as candid or as sort of closed off as you like i mean when you were telling me about your little packaging thing and when you're telling me about arcade these other little ventures you've got going on i think that's amazing i think that's fantastic it sounds good and it is cool if you want to go into those that's great i shall be candid if you want to just keep it to wedding photography that's awesome i know you've got a history of music as well so you're all over the place the history of music will guide us um yeah 
Okay, so if you end up on some awesome ramble about um, the state of art, awesome, let's just go with it. If you actually want to talk about money, fantastic. I don't mind if we cover both or neither, to be honest. I just want to have a yarn. Yeah. And I really don't know where oh, it's going to go. Okay. Yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can like launch. I mean, it's, even you're talking about the, like, it's a privilege for someone to ever suggest that you're an artist, or which is just someone who makes art, I think is a pretty tremendous, massive compliment. Um, and I, we, are we, I mean, we have, like, you know, like at our house, we have, we're always hosting a million people from all, yeah, over, the, I'm aware of that. all yeah. over the globe. And um, you're very welcoming, aren't you? You know, and well, it's, I mean, I think we just really enjoy people, and I think we know what it's like to, um, to be away from home and we know what it feels like to walk into someone's space where you don't feel like you're in someone else's space where you're just like, oh, this is, I feel like I can be comfortable here. So I think we've, you know, um, we've just kind of tried to be, have a crazy messy house where people can come in and flop down on the couch and be like, whatever. Um, and it's it's kind of extended to, to all sorts of people. You know, we, there's loads of people that we that we're meeting for the first time when we pick them up at the airport now, where it's just like, oh, I just come and stay. It's no big deal. And it's That's I think fantastic. if you are if you approach it as being effortless, then it is effortless. You know, um, and they're not and, just photographers. They're not even just wedding photographers. Yeah, it's they, like loads, they're, loads of people. Like, like Nicole, who's name? Nicole Mason. Like she's she's like how old is she? She's like 24. She's like um, we young. we met her. She was at um, we were at workshop in New York at, back in well. What month are we in? I don't know. Back at the end of probably a month ago. Yeah, we'll um, say October. Yeah. Um, a month yep. And she was there. Well, we, like we've followed her work for ages. She's right. kind of like shoots editorial stuff. Um, has a beautiful tonal palette. Is incredibly consistent. You know, and just kind of like been around. Um, you know, then finally met her there for the first time. We're just like, shit. She's like, twenty. She's super young. Like, holy crap. And then, um, you know, she got in touch. About three days ago to be like oh i've got to come to new zealand for a job uh are you guys around We're like come stay you know and then she showed up last night jim pollard's on our couch like cranking into all sorts of subjects about he's on his way to mystic seminars like in portland to speak at a thing with another friend of ours terry jabur who's this crazy french guy nicole comes it's, it's all it's just kind of like a similar-minded people you know um talking about kind of what, whatever they're doing and i think it's we've got this really wonderful community going on of, of people who just love to have a yarn about stuff and that's in your house but it goes beyond your house right yeah it's, it's just like your, yeah it's just it's just like wherever and 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 like um we're always staying with people all around the world in a similar kind of thing and i think it's just something of it's just a wonderful thing to be able to kind of share your life and your, and your ideas with people and but but all that to say we were um we're often talking about this idea that that people refer to themselves as artists or what they do is art all the time, but but um, we've kind of come to this conclusion amongst our little community of people that like like being an artist means you're someone who makes something out of nothing, um, as opposed to just someone who kind of slides in on something else that's happening. And wedding photography is a really interesting. I mean, we never even call what we do wedding photography anyway. We call it. People ask us what we do. We're just like, oh, we we shoot people in love, you know. Um, is, is that a, is that that's just a marketing? No, nah, it's because it's a very it's a it's a ve it? it's a very different it's a very different way of thinking about people. Okay. Like we're in the human game, yep. um, and I, I remember like I don't know if you've you've seen um, Don McCullen, like war he's a war photographer, yep. you know, like in the, he he talks about um, oh even Stephen Sagmeister, the design guy, talks about a similar thing. Like they talk about like you're not you know you're not a technician if you're telling stories really well you're not a technician 
of the of the means that you're using to tell a story. You you a, a really good storyteller is a good storyteller because they understand the subject matter, not because they are a good operator of a camera or a filmmaker sure. or a writer or whatever. They they understand. You can hear. You can find someone who is. Um, you know, you you could find someone like a beekeeper um, who is incompetent at speaking in public and barely string two words together. And if you can, if you can be like, tell me, tell me what you know about drones and nectar in winter or something, and they'll stand up in front of ten thousand people and be like, mate, this is you know, like it's the thing that makes them great about telling the story is their understanding of the of the the subject matter, not they're really good at the the method that they use and tell the story and and they'll they'll be they'll be um incredibly entertaining and invigorating and passionate because they they're passionate about it so like Don McCullen's just like you know he's like I I don't know much but I know I know how conflict works and I know how it affects people and I know that when people are fighting um certain things happen and people respond in a certain way um it's the same thing like like we understand people in love and we understand how love works and how it works in the format of an event and how when a bunch of hard-hearted like parents who think their kids shouldn't be getting married or whatever are hanging out um and they're like oh they're feeling like shit we're all caught up in this crazy messy wild expensive event and you can be around them like the day before and they're they're struggling to cope and you're like i know what you're going to feel in an hour i know what you're going to feel tomorrow at 12 o'clock i know what you're going to feel in the middle of the afternoon I know how this is going to affect you, and you don't even know it yet. Mm. You don't even know. I know how your heart works better than you know how it works in the situation. Like, I'm a forecaster of emotions and a forecaster. That's what we're good at. Are you tell like, them that? Or is this what's going no, on? No, no, this is what's going on here. You're just yeah. like, I know how this works. Yeah. I know what you're going to experience, and I know where I need to be in order to tell the story of your experiencing it really well. So the thing that makes you really mm. good at it is not that you're a good photographer. It's mm. that you understand people in love. Fantastic. So what we... Well, so we, you shoot people in we love. shoot people in love. Right. We understand people in love. I mean, we understand all the mess that goes on around them and how it works. There's, we don't understand heaps of other things, you know. We, so we don't tell those stories, but we can tell stories of people in love. And it's that's a very diff- suddenly you're like that's a very different game when someone's like, "What are you doing? I'm a wedding photographer." It's very different. Yeah. And I love it. and it's at the opposite end of like the spectrum. And I think it keeps us understanding that our strength is knowing how people work. Um, and sometimes the imagery that comes out of that is, is, is really messy and it might not be, oh, this is incredible photography, but it's really wonderful people storytelling sure. because we understand people in love. Um, all of this back to the thing about, you know, artists make something out of nothing. And when you're in wedding photography, um, you, you, you straddle this, a whole bunch of genres of capturing stories and some of it's editorial, some of it's portraiture, some of it's documentary, some of it's whatever. But there's, there's a certain, there's got to be a certain element if you, if you are actually making art where you're creating something out of nothing, like that without you, that thing wasn't told in that way or wasn't, or didn't happen or all this sort of stuff. And so much of, of wedding photography is just, it would have, if you weren't there, if you didn't lift your camera up to your eye, it still would have happened. So it's kind of, it's it's a struggle to sort of be like, well, is that is that art making? Yep. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that where you, if you're in the right place at the right time and lining up these three people in a shot and this thing in that way, suddenly there's a story there that that wouldn't have been seen without you. And I think that's when you're like, gosh, this is okay. Suddenly, this is this is this is like a level of of pretty wonderful art. Sure. Okay. So you you struggle with that. So you're wedding photography or shooting people in love and where art falls 
on there. Yeah, on that, you on that spectrum. There, on that spectrum. So let's then move away from shooting people in love then, and let's talk about things that you might be doing that you do consider to be more artistic and more closely aligned to your your definition of art. What well, else I, are you I, up to? I mean, I, th- I think that, I think the weird thing is is that I, th- I find it really interesting talking about like photography. Um, in, in genres as well it's just like image making like light is light and image making is image making yeah. um, but I think the thing if you're making something out of nothing you are quite actively involved in you know you're, you're very engaged in it you're not just you're not standing back you know you're very like oh what, you know, what are we doing with this um, and, and I think there's, there's heaps of things that we're really engaged in trying to make something happen you know okay. and if, even just the photography stuff like we, we should hate shitloads of personal work Heaps of personal. You do, work. don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's a big, big um, part of, of what you do. And you just, do that. You, do you force yourself to get out there and do that, or oh, does it just I, come naturally? Well, like I, I, well, I think you, like you get into the habit. Okay, so you make um, it a habit. Yeah, and and you're you're constantly in the habit of of having a thing on the boil. And okay. I think um, the idea with you know, I mean, personal work is such an interesting thing because like no one like in whatever fifty years from now, no one will see any difference in, in our work from personal work to paid work to commercial work to wedding work it's all just work and there's only two kinds of work there's good work and there's bad work when you say no one will see that difference do you mean when they look back on size no work one, in 50 yeah, years yeah, or do you think work will change well, in the next 50 I mean when they look back I guess they look back on the stuff that Sophie and I are doing it's, that, it's just these are things that you shot just things you and there's, there's only output. there's only things that are good and things that are bad there's yeah. no things that were nothing has a price tag that's that's on it as well yeah. um, I th- which from, from a business point of view is really interesting because people I hear um we have people talking all the time about like well you've got to get paid for that you've got to be this and, you know blah, blah blah and if you're not getting paid for that then you only put in this much effort it's like well yes and no like like people only know your work they don't know what you, you what you got paid for so it's like if you are bothering to do work then you are always doing your best work sure um and if you think you can't be bothered then you don't do the don't work do yeah yeah uh, and, and, it's, and whether you're doing it for free for someone or whether you're getting paid an enormous amount should be relevant like, yeah, well, it's completely relevant because yeah. the world, no one else knows apart from, there's only probably two people in the world who know what you got paid for it, um, or who know if it was free. No one else knows. So then once again, this work is considered in your catalogue of work as, as what you do. So um, I think if, like from, from a business point of view, like I, if you get that right, the money follows. Like the money really is never a concern yeah. if you're getting the work right. Yeah. Um, and, and I always find that whenever you hear people talking significantly about money, it's generally because they haven't, they're not getting the work right. You're like, well, get mm. the work right. And you'll find that there's, there's things to navigate with, with figuring out the business side of, of, of monetizing art, you know, yeah, art, yeah, yeah. art and it's commerce, not, are, it's not, it's not that simple, right? <coughs> no, it's, but, but art, art and commerce, are, um, they're, they're pretty happy bedfellows. Sure. But so long as you always remember that commerce follows art. Cool. Okay. And, yeah. and any, any, any time you try and make art follow commerce, you end up in a very you make bad art and the money dries up so it's, it's always it's an interesting there's a, like C.S. Lewis like you know great theologian great writer great philosopher great whatever he um, had this wrote this kick-ass essay about around sort of World War II era about first and second things um, and this idea that there are there are always things that you should put first and things that you should put second and and mankind has been very very good at always turning those around um, right. And got some examples. Well, the the, the commerce things. Really, I mean, he them, he, yeah. he talks like he he talks about um, you know, like like romantic love, like love. Examine love is a really interesting thing. If you and here's this example um, where he talks about, and you, you can imagine him speaking in his you know wonderful English voice and in 1946 or whatever when he wrote it. Um, and he he talks about 
a, a young married couple and this is obviously the gender roles here are pretty brutal but he talks about like the what the, the you know the, the young wife stays at home and the guy the man catches the train and goes into london to work and um he's madly in love and all he thinks about is is if only he could be with her all day and if only he could just like but you know thinks about how how wonderful she is the sound of her voice how beautiful she is what it's like to be around her how he feels about being around her and thinks about it all day long you know at his desk doing his work um if only he could not have to go to work and sit there and gaze at her all day how incredible that would be um and Cecil is like that's clearly ridiculous because the reason why he goes home with so much desire for her is because he's been away from her all day and these are this is classic first and second things you sure. know um it's like if you if you want this thing to be wonderful you have to you have to miss it you know um and then he talks about commerce as well and money follows um having something to do with your hands and it's always been the, the, the situation for, for mankind that money follows in a certain way and as soon as you turn those things around and be like the sole goal here is money all of a sudden any satisfaction you get in your work disappears that's right so that, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that you can't have commercial success <coughs> no it's, it, it, it means that if you want commercial success in fact putting putting um, you know putting that commerce in that relationship to follow whatever the things that you do that you really love to do um, in fact, becomes vital, and it's, you know, it's it's um, commerce can never, money can never lead art. You end up with terrible art that no one wants to have anything to do with. Um, but when art leads money, you end up with art that people really want, and a whole lot of money. Right. It's and it's it's like it's like it's, it's this classic thing of you know, and it's not it's not even counterintuitive. It's like oh, that actually makes that makes a whole lot of sense. It does. It does make it's, sense, right? But. It's, as humans, it's as you say, it's too easy for us to switch those around, for yeah. us to chase one and, and not the other, right? Yeah, and then you put as soon as you put the cart before the horse, um, yep. suddenly you're like, oh, this isn't really working. So then, so then, going back to that, fantastic art before commerce. Put your art first; the money will follow. That's generally your ethos, right? That's your philosophy. Yeah, that's and, generally what you're following here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Let's pretty, just create something awesome. Pretty much, like, like, but day also, out, day al- day out. also, you know, like, I mean, years in music. Which is a very, um, it's a very long-term planning. Like, like releasing an album is, is you know, writing, demoing, recording, releasing a, a schedule of singles, a schedule of videos, a tour, um, all the way to the end of the tour, to then starting the next project. That's like a three-year project, and you need your ducks in a row and very carefully planned um, to get all the way to the end of that situation. You know. But the thing that starts that whole process is songs, is art. You, if you haven't got songs, you haven't got anything, you know. So it's like the songs are first, and then all this process starts and it rolls out. Um, it's it's the same thing with you know like like people, you know if you do an exhibition and you're selling prints or you're selling some kind of some kind of visual media thing, um, you don't sit down and be like, I need to sell some prints. What what will people good buy example, good you know yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. because that's like loads of people are doing that yeah. oh you can sell prints and make money i need to take some photos of things i can sell prints of yeah. none of those people seem to have careers with a strong voice selling prints with a certain thing sure. it's not a it's not a business model whereas if yeah. if you are like i need to develop who i am as an artist and what i'm doing and and my you know i mean i hate saying that my voice but you know like you are the certain thing that you do that can only come from you so it's basically when people look at your work and they're like ah that is you i know who that is 
um, then suddenly you've, you've, you've built something that everyone's like, when people are knocking on your door saying, can I buy a print of that? You realize you've got, you're making work that people you can sell prints from. Um, and it's, that's just sort of classic cup, sort of stuff, cup full of the whole stuff. But anyone who's doing, who's really successful at what they're monetizing, what they're doing, you'll find that they put the, they put the making first. And then they put the monetizing of it second. Right. And that, okay, and logically that makes sense. But there's plenty, there are plenty, and I'm not going to name any here. And if you've got any good examples, let me know of people who are creating first and who are creating, that's obviously subjective, but who are yeah. creating amazing art, but who don't necessarily have the financial success that they want or that, that could come their way. And I, I don't know why I'm thinking, but musicians seem like a really obvious example of that. There's plenty of great music out there, plenty of it. And plenty of people who are really, really struggling to make money out of, of of the music industry. So it's not necessarily always that simple, right? Is it? No. Well, or you, they do, you need to because after gutters? after the making, you do need to sell it, and that's that's the classic place where you, where people fall down is right. they get they get the making down and they're like, oh, I forgot to sell it. Right. I forgot to flog it somewhere along the way. Right. I mean, it's all that, the thing about music. I mean, there's an interesting we're an inter- interesting this interesting era with art making. And in, including music as an art discipline. That um, we're yeah. we like people. Everyone's like, yeah, fantastic. We've got rid of the gatekeepers. We've got rid of the bloody middlemen. Like it's fantastic. And it turns out that we needed the middlemen because now we've just got a torrent of content. Like there's, I I don't think it's controversial to be like there's there's always probably two percent of stuff that every that everyone makes that anyone's creating. It's two percent of it's any good. The rest right. of it's just it's just not that good. Pretty average, right? Um, and Gatekeepers always just found the two percent for us. They were a filter, yeah. Sort of thing, right. So now, now we've kind of run out of gatekeepers, mm-hmm. and now you've got to wade through. I mean, Instagram is such a good example. This torrent of stuff. There's there's some really fantastic stuff in the world, but you've got to wade through this avalanche of content now to get to it. Um, and in a in a bygone era, a curator in a gallery would have done that for you and put sure, it on a wall, sure. and everyone would have been like, "Well, the other person who's stopping me from being successful," and you'd you'd be like, "Well, may, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe, but maybe not." It's the same thing with music, you know. Like you you've got to wade through all these truckloads of stuff on Spotify, and it turns out that heaps of it's just no good. Right, and um, the record labels were actually pretty good at. Finding the well, good stuff. Yeah, there was, and, there, there was an era of, 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 of incredible A&R. There's like, you know, um, um, was it Emmett Erdogan, the famous Atlantic Records guy who, who gave us everyone from, you know, Led Zepp to Aretha Franklin to, you know, um, where they really understood how how music worked and what made people, the thing in, this, in music that made an audience go, oh, that's the that was the whole in, hole in me that got filled. Yep. It's amazing, um, and they knew how to find that in people and be like, yep. I, I, you know, they knew how people work. They knew how people listen to music, yep. and they could deliver. Ah, this is what people love. And so now you've got a bunch of curators sitting in the Spotify headquarters trying to do that, or some algorithms, yeah. based on listening listens or something, and it's just not not doing the job, right? But it's well, I mean, it, it is. There's, there's, there's people are finding great music, but. Um, you, you, we're sort of, you know, wading thigh deep through the through the dross these days, and I'm, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible, but it, I think it's more realizing that like gatekeepers and curators and someone to filter out all of the stuff for you as as a thing. But all that to just say that there's always there's this small percentage of stuff that's really good anywhere, and photographers or you know 
painters or filmmakers or whatever. Um, and then there's this other huge amount of stuff which is kind of not very good, or the trajectory of it is, is not being refined, you know. Um, artists are, are really wonderful at um, just doing the thing that they do and never getting better, like never getting refined, never having someone around them to be like, ah, oh, here's how this could be more powerful. Right. Here's how this could be more potent. And you Here's think how that's this could super be. important. That's that's if that's everything. Yeah, that's right. everything. And um and so artist development is a thing that that curators and A and R guys at record labels Don't. and and producers of films have been have been doing. So if if you think about artists as being the people who make this really potent stuff, um, and you know, and and the middlemen as being the people who figure out how they can how they can get that to an audience and even make it so that the audience is it's almost palatable for an audience, you know, so that the audience can get the message from it. Um, you know, you, like like everyone talks about with with film with feature films, everyone talks about like, you know, the, the names they talk about are the actors and the directors and everything, and no one's ever like, so there's a producer who made this whole thing happen. Who's yeah. the guy who hired the director? You know, no one talks about them. No one talks about them, yeah, and sure. they're happy to not be talked about. But like they're the they're the they're, they're the, the middleman. They're the one who's like, how can we... There's a, there's a great story. There's a great script that they've championed for... Because a, a producer, it can take them seven years to get a project from start to finish. Sure. Um, and they're the ones who carry this long-term, yes, we can yeah. make this happen. We Directors can do this in thing. for a year or two, and that's it. Yeah. Or, 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 months. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and so there's, there's that. And I think if you look at... I mean, you know, I don't know if Hollywood's a successful model to be like, hey, here's what we should be doing. But it is, it is a really interesting way of taking ideas from start to finish and delivering them to people and making them commercially successful. And there is a, there's the role, like, you know, you can sort of pull out the analogy of a whole bunch of people involved in that process and how that would work if you were a solo artist, you know. Um, but the person who's the producer, you know, is the person who's sort of kept the project moving and they've made sure that it got funded and they, they've made sure that it's good and that it's saleable at the end and all sorts of stuff. And, and they're the, they're the commerce to all the other art sure. that's being made. And I, I think it's, it's really interesting to use that analogy and look at your own, whatever your output is and be like, do I need a producer? Yeah, right. Do I need someone to curate me? Do I need someone to? Here. Can I do it? My, can I do it myself? Or do I need to find someone yep. who's got that skill set? Let's go down that route then. So, is there some advice there that you would give to creatives out there in terms of of thinking about a producer, a gatekeeper, a curator, someone there about seeking out someone like that to help them with that? Oh, what do you think? I, yeah, I, I think I think massively. I think because what, what we, if we're talking about art and commerce, like we're talking the producer role is the is the commerce is that. Okay, here's how we can here's how we can sell what you do, um, whether it's it's music or whether it's prints, whatever it is. Like it's you know, loads of people are making great art, but they're just forgetting to sell it. And so the producer's the person who's like, "This is great. You could be if you were three times better. We can sell this, and then this is how we sell this. And it's not. I I mean, there's all of these. I always find it interesting that people think talking about selling out is dirty. It's whatever. No, it's it's is exactly it really? like. It's, well, it's, I it's it's I because I think about everything in terms of music, right? Yep. Um, and no one thinks about, no one thinks about selling or buying music. Everyone just thinks about listening to music. That's the that's how you consume it, or looking at a at a at an image that's hanging on your wall, or going to see a film, and all of the wonderful emotional experience that 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 goes with that. But seeing a film is that's the commerce. Um, listening to music that's the commerce part of the music making, and like whenever it gets whenever it hits the audience, that's the commerce, right? Yeah. Um, which is why that you know, 
any, any anyone who ever talks about any, there being any, being any tension between art and commerce, it just completely misses the point that it's just it's just delivering it to the audience, and whether you choose to do that for free or you choose to like somehow fund more art, that's up to you. Um, but yeah, the the, the audience, the, the delivering it to the audience question is 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 the is the simple thing. If you're making something wonderful that makes people feel something, then the delivery is a really important part of it. Mm. Otherwise, you just kind of, you know, I mean, you've still made something wonderful, but you haven't given someone someone else a chance to. I mean, we, we were talking about this thing that like um, that an artist is someone who the reason why artists are important is because um, oh, let me even dial this back a bit further. Like the like the measuring game is really interesting in our society. Like people are right from when you're a kid, you're you're measured to make sure that you're coming up to a certain standard. Um, and it's a very, um, it's quite a confronting thing. And so, you know, you, you take your, you take your baby to the pediatrician and you're just like, are they, are they normal? And the pediatrician's like, oh Charts yeah, yeah, no, good, yeah, good, yep, sweet, move on to the next stage. Yep. They want to go to preschool. It's like, are they, they're not a, they're not a psychopath. They're f no, fine. They're going to stab a child with a sharpened stick. Cool. Come on, come on in. Um, you know, going on to school, going on to like high school going getting into university Great. it's a constant thing of like yep. here's here's a standard that someone's established do you measure up um all the way through to you know your first job to to, to getting promotions to the constant measuring thing and it's, it's a it's a very it's a it's a natural way of being how do you fit into society do you measure up and we're all that conformity um it's really natural that if you get to 50 55 60 65 retirement age and you've had a lifetime of that um that what's happened is your heart's just been numbed down a little bit and is 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 less and less and less and less sensitive. Like you talk to a kid who's um, who's fourteen who's fallen in love for the first time and they've had their heart broken. Like the the honestly the world is falling apart. It is the like, end of the world. Like yeah. it absolutely. Yep. But on the third time they've had their heart broken, they realise that it gets better and they're like, well, I can cope with this. And then on the twelfth time, they're like, there's plenty more fish in the sea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, when they're, they're 45 and their relationships falling apart and they're divorced, and they're just like, well, I can pick myself up, keep going. And it's, it's the same thing with every little, with, whether it's with jobs, with whatever it is, like, like life numbs people down. Yeah. Um, and an artist's role is to not have a numb heart. An artist's role is generally to have quite an embarrassed to, you know, that, that, like you think about the sort of person who writes a love song. And lets the world know about it. A love, a love song is just basically someone saying, or like a brokenhearted, a Ryan Adams brokenhearted love song, is someone is him saying, "I've actually I've been rejected. I'm not good enough for you. This absolutely sucks. I feel horrible. This is like this is the worst thing in the world, you know." Um, and like, um, yeah, this, this, this is the worst thing in the world. Like this feels horrible, basically because I haven't measured up. I'm not like, you know, I'm not good enough in the love game. No one would ever say that to the world. Like that's in our culture, that's the thing that you'd be ashamed of. That yeah, you keep yeah, to yourself. Keep to yourself, right? You know, so an artist is someone who um, whose heart hasn't been numbed down, and you know, when 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 they've been tried to be measured all their life, they've been like, "Screw you! I'm not going to." You know, I, that's why they hate I, artists. Hate authority figures because they're like, "No, my heart feels these things really strongly." Um, so an artist's role is to be someone who's kept their heart really sensitive and tender, um, who can make who whose heart is so 
powerful and strong and still sensitive that it pushes art out of them. And that art that's made with a tender heart is the stuff that when someone who's got a numb heart from years of being measured sees it, they're like, that's right, that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like to, you know, to have your heart broken. And that's what it, you know, whether you make an image that someone, even just for 60 seconds when they stare at it in a gallery, they're like, oh, I feel my heart again. I feel what it feels like to be 17 in this thing. Or I feel what it feels like to be, I remember the time I saw, I saw one of my kids being born and, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's, it, it shakes their heart awake again, even just for that little bit. So an artist's role in society is to keep hearts tender, even if it's just for the small little bit of this experience. Um, so all of that to be said, that like the, the, the reason why the art making is ridiculously important is like this, this vital role in society is because everyone's walking around kind of half in a daze, numbed down from the experience of living, which is just, can be just pretty brutal sometimes. Um, you make great art and it shakes people alive. It shakes them awake. And that's why the, the, the figuring out of not just making it but delivering it to an audience is really important because you could, you could shoot in a certain way um, and make a certain kind of image that there's someone out there who, when they see it, it, it turns everything on in their heart again where they're just like, oh, that's what it feels like. That's right. I remember everything about what it felt like to have my heart freaking feeling wild and free and wonderful and brilliant, you know. Um, and you might have a, you might make something. You might be a songwriter or a filmmaker or whatever, where you make something that, that identifies with a certain bunch of people. And without you doing it, their heart doesn't get that feeling. So that's why figuring out if you are making that 2%, which is really great, and you can figure out how to deliver it to an audience is really important. Um, like, like art's really important. Artists are really important. Like, without them, we just end up with this a whole bunch of automatons with numbed-down hearts who are just trying to survive. You know, like, like the art is what, what pricks our hearts awake all the time. Um, and, and so I think you have, if you're making something that is, that does get an emotional response from people, you almost have a responsibility to figure out, how can I deliver this to an audience? To the audience that this is made for, that this shakes their hearts in a way that makes them be like, oh, this is wonderful. The delivery is the commerce, but it, it doesn't it doesn't take away from the power of the art. Like it's it's a it's a really important part of it. It's the listening to the song, it's the singing in the gallery, it's the whatever, it's the watching the film. I don't even know what we're talking about now, mate. I didn't want to interject there because you were on a roll, and I loved where you were going. And I thought I've got nothing to add to this at all. I've got no questions or comments that could make this any better, so I just let you go, and it was oh. that was awesome. I actually think the world needs more of Cy Moore, to be honest. Uh, in their ears more regularly. So if you ever decided that you could dispense little nuggets of artistic wisdom on a daily, weekly basis, you should do that. But anyway, let's go on from Nuggets, here. chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets. 20 pack. <laughs> 20, 20, pack of, 20 pack of nuggets. <laughs> a bit of a sweet and sour dipping sauce to go yeah. with that. So, okay, so what do you... Okay, that... Awesome. What are you creating at the moment then, man? What are you... Where, where, where's your soul going? What are you building? Oh, so many things. I mean, on on the on the photo front, like the on the personal work front, um, we we spent quite a like like we shoot a lot of stuff on film, a lot of media format film. Um, I mean, for no other reason than to have a different image workflow to like to all of the the, the wedding stuff oh, that stuff we shoot. Doing, yeah. Um, not to say that one's better than the other, already, mm. but it's just more that like there's. Like the, our digital workflow is pretty. Everything goes into a certain thing, and when you're shooting, you know you're in the back of your mind. You're thinking, "This goes into this workflow and does this." Um, so it's to force yourself out of that. Yeah, workflow, it's it's right? basically to be like, "Oh, you can you can you you're creating, and it's a very different thing." You're not thinking, "I've got to drop this into this thing and it goes to this thing." And so you, you can kind of approach. I mean, there's the, 
one of the wonderful things about shooting film is the, is the you know delayed gratification obviously um of of being in the moment of not even a screen to look at like instant feedback that's that back to that thing of talking about making something out of nothing um if if you're when you're shooting and you're looking at a screen all the time um what happens is you've got an idea in your head of what you're trying to do and then the screen gives you feedback and then you keep kind of collaborating with the screen until you've either changed your idea or you've forced the image into being what you what you thought about which yep. is which is one of the strengths of shooting Absolutely, digital, you know? yeah. um, but when you're shooting on film without a screen to give you feedback it's you've just got this mental game and suddenly you become really alive and awake to to the moment and to what you're doing to what the light's doing and what the person's doing and you're not you haven't got this feedback loop it's like um we always complain at weddings about you know people taking photos on their phones all the time or just, or just experiencing the whole thing through their phone um where it's like man put you know put your phone down and, and look at these wonderful people with your eyes stop living through a screen but what we do as photographers is live through a screen we sure. do the same thing we're steering constant we're we're in these beautiful moments and we're we're firing and looking at the screen and shooting screen shoot screen shoot screen shoot screen like thousands of times a, a, a day um yet when you're when you're shooting film you stop looking at the screen and you're just looking at the light and looking at the people and the situation and suddenly you go so much deeper into what's going on um, because you don't have this distraction of this feedback loop and and it's um it's a really interesting place to be and you find that that just from a pure joy point of view you just get this immense amount of joy from just like from just pushing the shutter wow are you shooting people in love on film yeah. as well yeah, yeah. yeah um people in love weird street stuff objects all sorts of stuff um we shoot lots of stuff like rolly styles we've got a couple of rolly flexes and obviously they don't have meters in them and the way I've, I've got around having to cut a, cut a meter around, because I don't like to cut heaps of stuff around, is to just um, you know learn the sunny 16 metering yeah. by eye kind of thing. But then also, um, what that means is shooting heaps of stuff, F11, F16, you know, full sun. Um, and it's definitely changed how we shoot weddings, how we embrace the sun. Great. Like, you know, not looking you to... give the shit. Yeah, we'll just, hide, yeah, we're like, yeah give me the brutal searing New Zealand sun. Yeah. Um, but also, it's interesting suddenly shooting... Um, you know, like when you're shooting weddings and loads of people, we're always trying to get separation, so you're shooting quite quite shallow to try and pull out a story of the things happening. Um, and then when you're shooting street stuff and you're just kind of shooting from the hip, you know, and um, shooting at F6, everything's in focus. And it's a very different... Yeah. Very, It turns on this whole different part of you. It's just like, oh, that's right. The world where everything's in focus. That's actually the world that I live in with my eyes. Yeah. Where everything's in focus. Like... Um, and I think from a personal work point of view, you know, sometimes people think, oh, personal work has to be this particularly crusading project of a thing with a start and a finish or whatever. Um, That's my next but, question, right? Well, yeah, for, 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 for the last few years, like, like personal work for me has been learning to live in a world where everything's in focus again. Right. Um, you know, and, and then how you apply that, how it kind of like rolls out to a thing. Um, we, we approach like personal work from a point of view of 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 repetition and oh yeah we a few years ago we were at um the Pompidou Centre in Paris you know the modern art yep. museum I reckon it's the having been to heaps of museums I reckon it's the greatest museum in the world you ever. do you yeah. yeah um I actually haven't been there I'm familiar with oh it. it's, been uh, there. it's a yeah. you know incre incredible really place. and there's um there's a whole bunch of Matisse stuff there where you see the the portrait 
and then they've brought together a bunch of the studies that he did. So the oh, sketches wow. around an idea. So you know, it's wow. like there's a he there's a, an idea of light. Um, here's this kind of idea, and and sketching it up, sketching it up, sketching it up, study, study, study. You know, bit of a rough painting, rough ink line drawing, blah blah blah. Finished portrait. Um, or or with him, like some of the he was doing these drawings of um, you know, when he was like sick, like later in life, drawing on like parchment paper on stuck on the roof where he's got like a long stick with like a, a, a um, pastel thing on it and he designed like these these beautiful stained glass windows and you see like the rough drawings and the final drawings all sorts of stuff but you really get this idea that um, you know one of the downsides of photography is that there's, there's it's often not process driven like you can um, you can shoot an idea and you can fluke it and it can be incredible um, you know, on the first shot, or you get a bit of feedback from the screen, and on your fourth shot, and then you've executed the idea. Um, so you've, you've 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 got a result, but you haven't necessarily had a process that you learnt anything from. And it's going to be quite a backwards thing. Whereas sometimes it's better to, to never get the result, but have a process that you had to go through to yeah. learn to to get a thing. And if you look at lots of other disciplines, you know, drawing, painting, um, like composing, um, songwriting, whatever, you end up you have to go through this very distinct process. With lots of failure along the way, um, visualizing. Well, this is actually what I'm after, and I want, I want to steer this and do this and this. Not just, oh, here's some cool light, bam. Oh, look at the back of the camera. Well, I didn't really mean that, but yeah. Well, that looks awesome. That's a win. I mean, which is great to have a great, a great result. But it's it, really, missing, if, if, yeah, yeah. If, yeah, if, 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 if you if you, if you want to if you want to become if you want to become good at what you do and refine what you do and get better at what you do, then the learning is more important than the result. Um, and so you've got to sort of put yourself in this process. Now, so back to shooting film, like the the the, the visualizing and looking at what you're doing and really thinking, and metering really carefully. I mean, most people when you're shooting digital, they just use we use the screen to meter now because it's a very efficient way of totally, metering. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, but if when you haven't got a screen and you've really got to look, what am I exposing for, and and how can I make this work and blah blah blah, and you know, so you, you've you're really thinking through, pre-visualizing everything and really working it through. So you you end up with this process, um, this mental pro, this internal process, that you can learn a huge amount from, even without ever getting your film back from the lab. Yeah, um, sure. And so, isn't that magical? Yeah. So there's this there's this certain joy you get from pushing yeah. the shutter, where you've already you're deep in the process, and if you're shooting a portrait of someone, for example, you've you've had nothing but pure eye contact with them. You're not looking at a screen. There's no screen to to to, to kill your flow. Um, and so as far as you know, when you've pushed the shutter, you've made the greatest thing mankind's ever seen. You know, you can, you honestly can have that euphoria if you want, you know. Um, and so there's a certain amount of, of process and learning about what you're doing and, and, and understanding and looking carefully. And So one of the things that's always interested me about film, though, is then the disconnect between that and the actual final product. And you talked about delayed gratification, yeah. which is a good thing, right? We need more of that. There's still this. There's still got to be this disconnect between that learning and that process, and then the actual final. Here's my image. Is there? How do you join those? How do you make those more connected? Um. I, well, I think there's. Um. I mean, and I'm I'm never on a crusade to be like, oh, films better than digital or anything. It's, they're yeah, very sure. very different things. But the, the the attraction of film, um, and to be honest, you can get the same thing by just taping over the back yeah, of yeah, your absolutely. the back of your bloody screen yeah. and your camera. Um. Let's try that at a wedding. Yeah. Actually. I'm not against you know, that. Yeah. Um, 
but as or, or like you know, you know for for Rusty, like the Mexican, like you know he just shoots in black and white so his, his screen's in black and white so he's taken away one piece of the feedback so he can focus on composition and blocking you know yeah um but yeah like like the the disconnect thing when you know when you get stuff back i think am i right I, with that or not is no, that, is i not mean really yes and no like i think it's it's you've made a we're always aware that you've made a fact not a file so if you shot a roll of 36 or a roll of 12 on a rolly for example um 12 frames at six by six um you've there's only ever 12 rolls on a roll there isn't thousands of things and it doesn't matter whether you choose one or three of those that worked for you, but there's still 12 facts that are in front of you. Um, and the longer I always get away from having shot it when I can remember what I was trying to do, the more I find that I've got 12, 12 frames I want to keep. Oh, wow. Like, um, right. like when I get film scans back, like we, we have a partnership with Richard Photo Lab and LA and they're wonderful and they get stuff back to you really fast. Um, and you know, we, always have the same person scanning our stuff and you know so we, we, we're like a little team working together to get the same result um and when i get stuff back i'll go through and do selects based on roles you know and then i'll i'll pick some and, and the other stuff just sits in a bin and in a folder um and if i go back two weeks later after i've selected those and i look at i look at everything else that i haven't selected when i've forgotten what i was trying to achieve um you'll be i'll be like all of these are kick-ass <laughs> like what or, why are or, these in it is this the am i looking at the right folder is this the bin folder is this the pics this is all awesome it's like, never the opposite the... it's never oh all of these are shit i need to do the whole thing again no no yeah. it's always because so what happens is you've got i've gone through a roll and been like and you have a certain idea that you're aiming for you'd be like yeah two of these are totally total win because i remember what i was trying to do and then the more i forget what i was trying to do the more i you know you take them at face value and you're like well these all have a really strong voice and wonderfulness of their own you know um and i think you just start to embrace that more. I shoot heaps of like multiple exposure stuff and weird stuff. Um, and a lot of it is just to, to roll the dice even more to yeah. be like, Oh, Get you know, away, let's but... see what, like, let, I'm, I'm, you know, I kind of want to meet the thing halfway rather than being, I'm doing, you know, which has got to be the only way to, you know, if you've got a desire to learn to just be like, I want to understand how, you know, and I, i I really enjoy like the pre-visualizing of doing multiple exposures where you're trying to leave a part of the frame, um, that's underexposed so you can layer another thing over that and remembering where is it in the frame and then how do I put this thing there and then how is there still some kind of narrative or or wonderful emotion with the end result you know not just a here I've made an interesting thing but it's like I, I think that the thing that you learn when you've got process is that you learn why you're making it you know what what when you see the end result that you're that you're like yes I want to do more of that you're like why do I want to do more of that that made me feel a wonderful thing back to that thing about art makes hearts come alive um but also, you've learned how to do it. Like, repetition is this wonderful thing. Like, I've got no problem with having an idea and repeating it over and over and over um, for six months. Like, okay. that's what I do, like, with the film thing. It's yeah. like, it'll be the same. If you, like, say you look at my Instagram feed, you just be like, this is all the same. This will just be the same thing. <laughs> yeah. This is the right. same thing. Right. And But for me, it's just like, oh, okay, I managed to get, I got it in the, say, doing, you know, like, like shooting someone in a slice of light and then using the part that was underexposed to put their out of focus face and as a larger kind of thing you know so you kind of got a zoomed in version of them and, it, and it, you know it kind of sort of tells it tells a, a fuzzier story of someone's personality you know um if you get it right and every time i get one right i'm like all right you know i need to make sure that i can that i know 
did I go? I, I didn't just fluke this. Did I know how I can do this? So you go out and do it did again. I, yeah, you know, time. you're just like cool. I go, ah, I see how I got that. You know, and I'm and so I'm always like being ah, I can refine this more. I can refine this more. I can refine this more. Um, Interesting. Which is the the opposite to how I respond to shooting digital stuff, which is just like oh yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That shit. Get rid of that shit. That's awesome. Could be yeah. awesome. Um, you know, which I, I haven't necessarily learned anything from that. I was just in the right place at the right time. Maybe. I mean, I'd love to think that I had some kind of skill, but at the same time, you're just like, well, I'm pretty sure that if anyone was in the place where I was right then, you know, I had the camera dialed in the same way, they would have got the same result. Cool. You know, where's, where's me in that? Okay. Um, whereas, like, the shooting the film thing is, I know where I am because I'm making up the image in my head, you know, being, oh, and then when you get it back, you're like, well, what I have in my head and what I've got back here is, you know, either either what I got back is better than what was in my head. So then you're like, hmm, is that success or failure? Um, you know, maybe I should have had, maybe I should have had better standards, or maybe I should have been like, maybe I was aiming for this after all, or this actually wasn't what I was aiming for. This is way better. Maybe I need to, this is my new target now. How can I figure out how to repeat this? It's like, holy shit, I got a result better than what I was intending, but I don't know how to get this result again because it's not what I was intending. It's definitely better. Now I've got to go and try and make this to make sure that I can make it. Um, so it's, I, I think it's just a constant thing of you're, you're refining and looking at your work and it's a better mental game than necessarily playing a screen game. So you've got a really cool personal project that you and Sofa are undertaking next year. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about the, you know, the, the idea of, um, the idea of what like a, a really well curated thing is, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a meal, whether it's an exhibition, whether it's a film or whatever, that the backstory is really important. You know, the motivation of how you got there is really important. That um, is how we got there, actually. Yeah, yeah. and and I mean, I, th I think the, you know, I think we, you know, we were we were rambling on a little bit about um, how when you go to a, a Michelin-starred restaurant and the chef will come out and tell you um, all about the food and, and, and why and what motivated them to end up at this place where you've got this plate of food in front of you. And not just where where the raw ingredients come from but but why they're pairing these things in a certain way and all the makers of it or the growers of it and and a little bit of the journey and that sort of stuff um and we talked about how actually even places like mcdonald's are embracing that where on your on your box or on your blooming menu yeah, or something he's like he's doug from southland who grew your spuds you know um and for some reason that that really matters to us where we're like oh okay i I understand that there's backstory. It does matter, right? You know, has it always mattered? Is this a recent thing? Has it always mattered? Oh, no, I we think. Well, I, I think we've it? always been much more aware of backstory um, in, in our in our history. I mean, it like for, food is food is a very interesting, very interesting thing with that because if you were a kid in the fifties, um, and I don't know, wherever, um, and your dad grew spuds in your backyard, and when you were having new potatoes at Christmas time. You knew where they came from because you you'd just been out there with him digging them out of the ground. It was part of your Christmas Eve tradition to dig the spuds for Christmas Day or, or whatever. Um, you know, like I grew up on a farm in Nelson, and and we were very in touch with. Yeah, we ate a lot of meat, but I like I spent my time with me you and know, my dad would kill a sheep to you know for us to have roast lamb, or whatever. Um, it would be. I'd be there with him, and you know, you'd be right there as a five-year-old, slitting the sheep's throat. I'm helping him skin it. It was all very, very normal, and so I think you had an understanding of I know where meat comes from. I know how this works, um, or you know, I know where the spuds come from. So I think being disconnected from backstories is is a very 
is a very recent thing, and I think it's a thing that comes from having an avalanche of content. Right. So there's so much stuff to absorb that the, the, the thing that, that, that mm. leaves, the first thing that leaves is the backstory because you've just got to take all the things at face value that are in front of you. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, I think it, it matters immensely. And I, like, if you're a fan of a musician, um, backstory is really important to you. Like, the, the song is great. You know, there'll be a massive hit song and you'll be like, whoa, this is like cool. You can take it at face value. But if you're a big fan and you had the chance to hear an interview with them where they told you about his, when they wrote that song, this was what it was about, you drink that shit up. You're just like, oh my, this is everything. This yep. is like, this is even more important than, you know, um, like, like if you're, if you're a, if you're not a fan, you want to see someone at a massive, loads of production stadium show where it's really well presented, and you're like, that's cool, it's a great experience. If you're a rabid fan, you would rather see, like, someone playing in a tiny place in someone's backyard with loads of technical difficulties where you can barely hear because there's no PA, they forget the words half of the time because they're playing old songs that they, never, that they haven't played for years, and they stop halfway through and have a big yarn and tell you all about how they wrote this song because blah, 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 you know, and here's the story behind it. Like, if you're a fan, you live for that. That makes your heart come alive. Um, and I think that's that's a key part of the art the art audience experience is, is fans love the details, you know? And in fact, you can make someone a fan by giving them details, by giving them backstory, where they didn't think they were a fan before, but suddenly they're just like, oh, this, the story behind the song is my story. I better bloody well listen up. This is my broken-hearted story as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with, with visual stuff as well, where you go to an exhibition, um, like, I, I think, you know, in, in art history terms, like a retrospective is, for example, is the is, a, is a, another word for greatest hits, right? And lots of the exhibitions that, that people go to now, um, because you know, because, because putting physical things on is expensive, lots of them are retrospective stuff. If someone's going to go to a gallery... They'll, they'll go and see someone's retrospective. And so they're kind of seeing a greatest hits. It's like scrolling through a historical scrolling through of, of, of a theoretical Instagram account of, yeah, Gordon, of, of Gordon Walters, for example. Um, and yeah, it's the highlights. Um, but really great exhibitions of, of imagery are, are narratives and stories and someone, someone either punching away at a certain idea. Um, or trying to tell the story of someone else or of a certain thing, and it's this experiential thing where you're like, oh, I understand how this idea works. And so you know, let's bring um, that around to what you're doing, right? You're heading to yeah. Iran. Yeah. So going going around, um, we've we've wanted to sort of do it for quite a while. I mean, basically, we've 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 more been aware that that um, we're really interested in, like, we've seen a lot of the world and we've seen a lot of people and had a lot of experiences, and I think to keep us interested in things, we're like, oh, where's some places that we um that we've always been really interested in historically, um, that people are interested in too, that you just like, you don't see in a content driven world, you don't see stuff about all the time. And it's obviously like places that people don't go for all sorts of reasons. Um, and we've got a few friends who've been to, been to Iran and they were like, man, it's the most hospitable, remarkable place ever. Persian history is wild. Yeah, um, sure. The scene, the art, the scene is wild. All sorts of stuff. We're like, well, we might as well go there. I mean, I for years we wanted to go to... Um, sort of follow the Silk Road and go to, you know, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, all this sort of stuff. But it's like, um, yeah, we want to sort of follow the Silk Road and go to, you know, go to Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and, and some of that sort of stuff. Um, but then when we sort of started to look at why, you know, like the idea of like, of cultures that are pretty ancient, but that also are 
I mean, there's an interesting thing about Iran being stigmatized by the West, you know, and as soon as you realize, like, a, there's a, um, you look at any history of, let's say, the Iranian Revolution, and you'll suddenly be like, whoa, this is, if, if we're going to look at, at Western interventionism and sort of rewriting history um, in, in terrible ways, oh, the Iranian Revolution is a wonderful example of of the West doing some pretty terrible things, and then suddenly some some poor culture carrying the can for it for a long time. Um, and the reason why that's important is busting busting myths with art is is that's what art's really good at you know rearranging how you think about something or asking you challenging you why do you think this about this where did you get that from um you know and and it, and honest, it honestly could be it could be rearranging how people think about transgender people in asian cultures it could be rearranging why people how people think about you know why? Why old people in North Korea freak out when they hear that a U.S. warplane flew close to the border? You know, if you look at the history of the Korean War and how that place was flattened by U.S. warplanes, and they can remember it. No wonder they're like, "Ah, holy shit! Last time this happened, everything was ah." And they tell their grandkids, "Like, never let this happen." Um, or, or the idea of like, why? Why is there this idea that like, there's this crazy country called Iran that everyone should be afraid of? And it's like, well, it turns out that that's all. Whatever it is, I mean, busting myths is art's really good at it, um, and telling the stories of regular people, art's really good at it. And I think we've had a passion for a while to to want to find some of those myths and do a little bit of myth busting. But but the other big thing too is that like being a place that you don't know much about, because um, I mean, any great documentary maker will tell you. I mean, it's the it's the hardest film art form. We'll tell you that you've Documentary. got yeah, you've, you've you've got to bring this idea to the table. We're like, I've got an idea that there could be an idea over the horizon. So you don't even have an idea. You're like, I'm pretty sure that over that horizon there is an idea. Um, and so let's go there and let's see what the idea is. You know, and and loads of documentary makers will tell you they start out with great ideas for a documentary, and at the end they don't end up making anything because they found out that. Uh, it was completely different to what they thought it was going to be. Um, Does that come back to your little thing where you like gambling, gambling, taking a little yeah, bit of a chance? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, well, I think you've, you've got to be prepared. To, like, if, if you want to make something that changes people, you've got to be changed in the process. Like, otherwise it's just preaching. If you're like, yeah, I'm going to tell the world that this is how it is, you know, that's, oh, no one's got time for that. There's enough preaching goes on. But um, if you go and you have an experience to be like, wow, this really changed me. And I found out this. I thought this. It turns out that I was completely wrong, and this completely changed me. Then you're, you've got the raw materials of for something that you can be like, this changed me. You should look at this. This will change you too. This will completely transform how you thought about mm. it. Um, so yeah, we want to put ourselves in a place where we can have that experience. It might work, it might not. But hopefully, um, you know, we're sort of sort of pre-visualizing ideas to the point where we don't we don't want to get too deep in the game where you you bring you just make a thing that you were going to make yeah absolutely anyway yeah, but yeah, yeah. but to Normally be like oh this this was wow we we busted some myth for ourselves about a place that we didn't yeah. know much about and so th there's not many places in the world that, that that we don't know much about thanks to the internet anymore so you're left with you know iran Very north true. korea an ice cave in greenland um or the the interior of a of a bloody you know like inuit tp somewhere north of the arctic circle yeah, with a strange yeah. camera like there's not much that we haven't, the haven't seen like sebastian salgado you know like um you look at his work and that's what he's remarkable at busting myths about what you think about a thing 
um, whether it's about the environment or it's about these crazy things going on in a place that you've never seen before because no one's had access to them or no one's let anyone in or whatever. Um, and he, like, one of the things that I, I find compelling about Salgado is that it's like we were talking before about if you're going to be a good storyteller, the medium that you're telling is not important. Understanding the subject matter is what makes you a good storyteller. Um, and Salgado is, you know, he's like a, he's an education in like geopolitics and, and, and the environment and ecology and economics. And, and so when he shoots stories of like crazy open cast gold mines in Brazil and the, the kids who are forced to work in them, he understands that the, the, the geopolitics, the politics and the economics and the ecology. And he's, he looks at it from that point of view and he shoots and, and the shooting is the last thing. It's yeah, the full stop. Yeah, sure. um, and so because of that, you're not just seeing here's someone who made pretty pictures. You're like, oh, this suddenly got really powerful um, because he, he understood what was going on. He understood the backstory to bring it full circle. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think we want to be some, we want to go somewhere where we understand a little bit of the backstory, but we need to have some myths busted for ourselves. That we, you know, there's a, we always find that there's this experience when you go to a new place, and we're always in new places, um, where you... You want to shoot the moment you arrive because you're like, whoa, look at this. Because that wears off and you think, oh, yeah, okay, in, in a week of being in this place, I won't think it's amazing anymore. No, in about 90 minutes, you won't think it's amazing anymore. Like the human brain's ability to adjust to the environment and be like, whoa, this is, you know, this was amazing. This is totally normal. You know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Like, like our adaptability is remarkable, which means that the moment you see something remarkable, you should be shooting it. Not, um, you know, because you come back, you come back in twenty minutes, and you won't think it's remarkable anymore. So is that is that where you is that where you're going with that? You're going to yeah. jump off the plane. You're going to be ready. Yeah, well, we're we're always like we're always we always try and be aware that the experiences that we're having are, are remarkable because they're fresh, and they probably won't be fresh for very long. So we should drink it. In. But then there's also something wonderful about routine as well, and so that they're kind of this. These are the two things that meet when you're doing something like this. And we've, we're lucky to have been lots of crazy places in the world and always managed to, to walk the tension between those two things. The freshness of the immediacy of like, well, this is amazing. We should we should be brave and talk to that guy right now and ask him if we can shoot him or we can do a thing or find out more about what's going on. Along with the same thing of like, we know that like what it feels like to walk this road right now is a certain thing, but what it'll feel like to walk it after having been here a month and know everyone will be very different. Very different. And these yeah. are two very different stories. And so sort of marrying those together is, is a really is a really vital thing. Um Stephen Shaw, you know, you're familiar with Stephen Shaw? No, I'm not. Um legendary sort of American photographer. Um Uncommon Places is probably his benchmark body of work slash book. Um which is, you know, I guess it's the sixties, mid sixties in the US. Um and he was like it's it's a really formative it's a really formative book, um, or body of work, and you know, kind of up there with like William Eggleston and Robert Frank and like these guys who, who made it. Which to me, like in the image making world, it's to compare it to music. It's like these these guys are like you know, this is like Hendrix and Clapton and like they did a thing for the first time that no one else was doing. Um, you know, like Walker Evans. Like it, it's, and I think it's much easier to think about it for me in musical terms because I'm like, oh, they're, they're not just revered because oh, here look, they did this thing and. Loads of people are doing this thing now. It's like, oh, they did it first. Like, this is really interesting because they were like, I'm going to go in with this new craft. I'm going to go and try and 
tell stories and, and, and make images that are a certain thing. And I'll see what happens. Um, on a par with, with Hendrix being presented with like, you know, an amp that suddenly um, freaking distorts like crazy, but it turns out it's got loads of sustain. He's like, shit, I can like, I can make three notes go forever and set this shit on fire. Like, it's an equal level of excitement as the music, I think, for me. Um, so Stephen Short, yeah, he, he was, he was traveling around um, with the most boring job in the world, making, with a large format camera, making postcards of through middle America for a postcard company. Like, can you think of a more terrible <laughs> job setting up this massive rig, um, you know, a big, like, 4 by 5 rig, and, like, um, or, actually, I think it was, like, 8 by 10 big view camera and stuff, and shooting, like, just th- these terrible Midwest scenes that people would put on local postcards to sell to people driving through for a camera like that. So then he'd, he kept this notebook of, I shot these postcards, blah, 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 he'd move on to the next place. And so when he was kind of like done with, when, he's, when he'd shot the stuff that he needed to shoot, um, he would shoot just weird streetscapes. And they're massive long exposures, so everyone, you can't see any people and that sort of stuff. But it's, it's a certain record. It's, it's basically taking a thing that was very normal and almost horrible then, like weird, weird, fast food chain stores in the style of 60s architecture or whatever um, with a bunch of cars parked around them and suddenly they're like beautiful and the reason why it's like, it was groundbreaking was because everyone was shooting fine art on black and white not on colour and he's suddenly like oh like same as William Eggleston oh turns out colour's really cool it doesn't it's not just for snapshots it can be for this other weird stuff too and I mean the, the reason why I think that's that's a remarkable thing where he he took the most mundane job and in between made this remarkable body of work that's gone on to be incredibly influential, um, is, is because he was walking that line between, oh, I'm in town, I've had this experience of seeing things for the first time. You know, he'd drive through, see things for the first time, make a bunch of notes, oh, yeah, sure, I need to come back and do this later on, and then go on and shoot his, shoot his postcards, and then come back and kind of walk the line between being, I remember that when I drove through here, like, three days ago, I was just like, holy shit, I need to come back and shoot this. Now that I'm looking at it, having been in town for a week, it looks pretty normal to me, but I've got to trust my gut that it's still amazing. Um, and he managed to kind of like walk that line in a really interesting way. Um, yeah, I don't even know what we're talking about. Now. Neither do I, but, but I like it. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. But anyway, that, that's the thing. I mean, I, th- I think the thing is, it's, it's not so much, oh, let's go to Iran, it's a crazy exotic place. It's more like, where can you go where you don't know... I, I mean, we like Soph and I just absorb too much information all the time, and so if you were to be like, "We well, can I go where I really don't know what to expect," there's not many places. Yeah. Um. And so finding that place is really important, I think, for the, for the for the experience to be like, "Oh, we're having this fresh this fresh thing," and it might not be there; it might be something else. I mean, but hey, oh, you're open to that though, you right? Know, whatever, give yeah, it, yeah, give yeah. It yep. You've you've got a bit of an idea, but not the whole idea. You're open to it. You'll go over there. You'll you'll suss yeah. it out. And you were talking about um. Uh, some uh, a body of work that you're hoping to produce over there, come home and ideally exhibit it. And <coughs> we were talking a little bit more there about the backstory. You're actually having to bring some of the backstory, and some of the some of the some of the process. Effectively, is what we're talking about the yeah. process and the work that surrounds your polished piece of work into your exhibition as well. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about film like loads too, and one of the key um, film kind of ideas is a context sheet where you've got you know if you've shot you've shot stuff in format, you've got twelve shots on a roll. Um, and a contact sheet is just where you, you know, you basically make a print from that negative 
with the with the negative right up against the paper. So the so the resolution's insane, but the, the images are still really small. So it's kind of like you've seen the roll. Um, and traditionally, people would look at their context, like a photographer look at their context sheets and go through and select their images. It's kind of like it's like whatever um, photo mechanic, yeah. old school photo mechanic, yep. you know, um, and be like, oh, and they just ring the one out of the yep. roll that they cool. Red, there you red, go. Red. Um, but when you look at a whole context sheet, um, you of 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 some iconic images, you see the story of the shoot, and suddenly you're like, oh, I get, I see. Why did you? I see that you chose that, and I see what the other things that you were trying to do, or I see. I see you trying to execute the idea, and we only ever saw the finished idea. But I see the failures either side on the roll, yeah. um, which is a really—it's a really compelling, like it—it's—it's a—it's an interesting piece of backstory. Can I ask you: Is shoot. that going to change the way that you shoot? Are you actively going to think, "Oh, okay, not only am I going to pick my final, my final one or two images from this twelve, but I'm going to exhibit all twelve of these." I'm going to put these on display. Do you think that's going to change the way that you? Oh, I, th I think it's just like not overthinking it too much. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's Good. more like, um, you know, the other thing too is that you can you can overthink it and go into it with a certain thing. But I know that when you're in those places doing that sort of stuff, um, you know, we've done in loads of other places. Like very very quickly, you're just trying to survive, making a thing happen. And generally, you've, you're, you're feeling you've got as you're doing is a feeling of abject failure. You're just like, oh, this isn't turning into what I thought. You know, so. So being having a preconceived idea, it doesn't matter how much you actually think it through. Really quickly, you just, it's just it just turns into you trying okay. to chase a certain thing and do a certain thing anyway. Good, you know? that's a good. Not thing. like, yeah, that's not like a good I need thing. to bang out uh -huh. a thing on the roll here or whatever. All right. yeah. Okay. Well, I I feel like um, I think what we'll do is we'll wrap this up here because. I have taken up more of your afternoon than I was expecting. So You've got hours and hours of. I know there's, there's plenty here. Too. Even even even, and if you discount the stuff that unfortunately we missed, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you a couple of really really random quick questions, and these ones are ones that fascinate me. Um, what do you listen to at the moment, mate? Oh, music. Like, yep, music. Oh, and so I know it's probably more than a single answer. No, this, we absorb pieces of music. Um, yeah. uh, like like always quite a lot of like always new records. Um, so like the new Feist record Pleasure is pretty is, is remarkable. Actually she was just here. We were in she was just in Auckland. She, I've been a big fan of hers for a long time. We we're just in Auckland and, and she played in Auckland and we were in shooting down in um and up in the mountains in Fjordland and missed it. Which is and a great thing but disappointing. It's a great right? thing, but yeah at the same time yeah hugely disappointing. Yeah. Um like the new Grizzly Bear, big fan of Grizzly Bear. Yeah, um, painted Painted out, Ruins, yeah, yep. is a is a is a pretty wonderful record. Um and you know, there are bands who just managed to keep doing. It's more of the same, but it's also it's all brilliant. It's not like I don't. I feel like they just find their thing and they just keep cranking it out. Um, Fleet Foxes, a big Robin Pecknold fan. Um, and we seen you know seen them a few times. We saw them not many weeks ago in Santa Barbara at a crazy old theatre. And it just drives home to you that like he, him and their band are just a level of of of, of brilliance. That's that's quite remarkable you know someone shouted out halfway through the show you know like if you're at a pop thing people shout out like oh i want you know i, I want to have your babies i want to um at a, at a fleet foxes show people shout out things like adopt me and things <laughs> i mean that's the level of ownership that they feel like i just want <laughs> you in my life be my father be my i don't dad. know like whatever <laughs> um yeah Great. oh like um kurt kurt vile and courtney barnett um what's it called a lot of lot of a whole lot of sea lice yeah which is like a little sort of combination record between them i find like courtney barnett very annoying but i find that kurt vile like like they have a really great chemistry together yeah, but suddenly it's just like oh yeah it's really and in fact she's great i'm like oh i actually turns yeah. out i might be a fan fantastic um, 
Good can, stuff. We can keep going. There's more. There's I know. So I know you could. Too, I could. Too I too think many, that's good. That's four albums that I can check records. out. I've already listened to a couple of those, but yeah, that's all good. Um, are you reading anything at the moment, mate? Um, yeah, like there's a. Oh, I was always reading like a lot of stuff. Like there's I am. There's a bunch of books that I'm always rereading because they're they're quite important. Like um, the like. J. A. Baker, the Peregrine. Um, I don't know if you know that. It's I've a, heard of it, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a, it's yep. a it's a vital. It's kind of like a screenwriter's classic. Like it's a beautifully written thing. It's, it, I think it's the only book the guy wrote. Um, it's about you know it's a it's a wildlife thing about a about a falcon. But yeah, it sounds yeah. unlikely. But you know, you'll start reading it, being like, "What is this?" And then you'll suddenly find yourself at the end weeping, like, "Holy heck, this is amazing!" And you're rereading it. Yeah, yeah, rereading yeah. that. But also rereading that alongside. Um, Alongside a sting in the tail, which is a oh, who's the guy who wrote it? Um, it's a book about a, a guy's research into um, a bumblebee. Great. And and all of the stuff that goes around, like how bumblebee hives work, and and all of it. And it's 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 beautifully written. Like it's 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 pretty almost it's almost comical, but um, there's a massive amount of insight into into ecology and into how hives work and how um, complexity works. Like Brian Morrow, the sharper guy, gave me a book. Um, he was here not very yeah. many weeks ago. Yeah. Um, when we got out of the car at the airport, he gave me a book um, about like a tiny little thing, like a short guide to complexity, um, and, which is about complex systems, um, which can be you know financial markets or it can be like beehives, beehives or all, all these sort of things. And it's it's an, it's interesting kind of seeing the seeing the the analogy between that. But it's 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 a it's a pretty wonderful. It's a pretty wonderful read. It's beautiful. It does written. sound like a wonderful story. Um, yeah. And there's there's a lot of New Zealand in it as well. It's, it's, an, it's he's an English researcher, but it turns out that they brought a bunch of very rare bumblebees to New Zealand back in the day, right. like every other thing they introduced here that destroyed our environment. Um, but that we've sort of the last bastion of a few of these super rare bumblebees right. who and, have. And this is because you've also got an interest in bees and beekeeping, or not really? You just love the story. Just read, just read lots of things. Great. Combi road trip, you're driving. It's a big drive, right? So it's from Auckland to pretty much Wilco Fiordland, right? Which is uh, where you were shooting previously, four days. Who's your travel companion, alive or dead? Who would you like to sit next to you for that four-day road trip? Ollie Sansom. Oh, wow. Greatest road trip partner ever. Hilarious. The level of hilarity. Oh, without doubt. Legend. Okay. Easy yeah. answer, but Comical, very good answer. But yeah. Yep. And I'd, honestly, I'd pick him even if he was dead. <laughs> you'd heaven have a dead, forbid, heaven forbid, I'd be like, next to you yeah, over if, anyone else. Yeah. If if Ollie was a character from history from three hundred years ago, I'd still pick him. <laughs> Great. All right. As these cars move, I am going to ask you one more. What have you created that you are most proud of? Ooh. I think the the community of people around us is a pretty is is is, is is pretty wonderful. Um, and I think it's a bunch of people who are incredibly supportive. They feel like a family. Um, and the conversations that we have and the way we knit into each other's life, I think that's the thing that long after we're dead and gone, that will will bear more fruit than anything we've ever made. That is an amazing way to finish this off. Fantastic. All right. right. Thank you so, so much for your time here. Thanks for tolerating this combi. For losing some of your afternoon to some quite hot in here, but it's good. Yeah, we need yeah. to get out, get some fresh air, get some water. Um, I didn't ask many questions. I didn't really contribute anything to that interview, but you did. Perfect. You gave me some amazing nuggets, multiple, multiple packs of twenty nuggets, and I greatly appreciate your time for that. Barbecue sauce. Oh, you're a barbecue sauce fan. Oh, I don't really have a lot of nuggets, but I would go yep. barbecue sauce if okay. it was. Yeah, it's but it's all good. It's in the situation. Thanks, Sai. All right, beautiful. Appreciate your time. Lovely. So, what do you reckon? 
I've listened back to that interview at least a couple of times now, and I'm just not sure that I brought a lot to the table as an interviewer. I think as an interviewer, your 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 role is to really listen and then really get deep in, find the right questions, find the right places to go with the conversation. And I didn't really add much value to that. I really just let Cy go for it. Personally, though, I loved what he had to say. I really loved it. In fact, I think it's one of those interviews that you and even myself are probably going to go back and listen to another couple of times just to really listen to what Cy said and let that sink in. So what did I get from it? Well, as usual, there's a few things that I want to chat about. A couple of things that really stood out to me. One of them is that I loved Cy's passion. I loved his conviction. But his whole artist creating out of nothing thing, that had me think for days. Do we really create out of nothing? I'm sort of inclined to have a slightly different view on this. I think art is created with many influences. I think it's borrowing from all around us. Not copying, but, you know, building on the work of others. As Picasso said, great artists steal. Um, Michael Caine said something like, steal whatever you see. The late Steve Jobs had this quote about connecting the dots. You're borrowing, stealing from everyone, not nothing. I've got this great interview coming up in a few weeks with a New Zealand painter. And she speaks of a creative process of essentially a form of scrapbooking, of sort of pulling together multiple concepts, multiple ideas, images, and then going and painting. She's creating art, not from nothing, but from the inspiration of many. I don't know. Is there a right answer to this? I may actually catch up with Sai another day, and turns out that actually he was talking about something completely different, and he agrees with me. That's where creativity comes from. And I'm not sure that you really have to agree with Sai. You don't even have to agree with me, right? We're not trying to provide the answers here. We're just trying to make you think. I also love what Sai says about the distinction between personal work and work, and that in reality there is none. Sister Coretta Kent had a quote that said, We have no art. You don't have art in a little niche someplace. You have no distinction between what is art and what is not art. You do everything as well as you can. I kind of liken that to what he was saying. Just go out there and just create, create, create. It doesn't matter if it's personal. It doesn't matter if there's not a single dollar coming your way. It doesn't matter if it's this massive paid job for a client. Just create stuff. We had a really, really fascinating conversation about backstory. How much of your backstory are you sharing? You know how these days we love hearing about how songs are created? We love seeing behind the scenes of TV, of music, of videos. Think about how many restaurants actually allow you to see the kitchen, see the chefs, watch them preparing the food. And then, as we talked about in the interview, how you're actually learning where the food comes from. Too many of us are too quick to just share the final polished product. And I think, you know what? We need to strip that back. We need to actually start sharing our backstory, sharing some behind the scenes. And you know the other thing I really, really loved about what Sai said? He started the interview talking about the community that he's fostering about all these people that they welcome into their home, all these artists that come and crash with them, or when they're traveling, they go and crash with them, they hang out with them, they travel with them, they mix, they mingle with other artists. And then right at the end, the final question, what are you most proud of? Wasn't his business, wasn't his brand, wasn't even his work. It was this community that he's fostering. And I thought that was amazingly poetic, the way that that came back around on itself. This reminds me of an article I read really recently about Shailene Flanagan, who won the New York City Marathon this year. All right, this is a sports story. It's not art, but just bear with me. Um, she was the first American woman, I think, to win it in about 40 years. And she did it really, really quickly as well. But the article talks about her bigger accomplishment being nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her. Elite sports is often really, really cutthroat, and it's people working on their own. 
Shalene Flanagan had this really interesting thing where she had worked alongside and with a whole lot of other athletes. She had this training group of 11 women, and every single one of them had made it to the Olympics while training with her. Uh, to quote the article, it said, You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of women who work alongside you whilst catapulting yourself forward. I've often believed that building and nurturing a community around you is actually one of the pillars to success, and I liken that to what Sai said he's doing. Sure, he's talented, he's a great photographer, he's a great artist, but I actually think a lot of his success comes down to the community that he's nurturing around him. So I'm not saying to you, hey, start inviting everyone into your home, start having everyone crash, start trying to spend every single minute of your life with other artists. Man, that would be a little bit overwhelming. But the big question here really is, are you creating or are you actually contributing? Being a part of a community as a consumer is one thing, but being a part of it as a co-creator is another. So have a think about what you're fostering around you, whether somewhere you could just get involved a little bit more in that community of artists around you. So there you go. That was my admittedly slightly too long, but still thought-provoking interview with Cy Moore, photographer and artist. You know what? If that doesn't make you want to go out and create art from the heart, then you're numb.